The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. If you're interested in keeping your eye health top-notch throughout all of the stages of your life, this is the program to listen to right now. We'll discuss the latest treatments and technologies to help battle vision-related disease, as well as bring you tips and proven methods to keep you seeing well, now and as you age. Here is your host, Dr. Bob Rothbard. Good afternoon. You're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on the Health and Wellness Channel on voiceamerica.com. Before we start with our guest, I just want to mention the passing of a very prominent physician out of USC, Dr. Am Sharma. He was my doctor, and uh, he treated me for a certain condition, and um, he did a tremendous job for that. He actually died a couple of years ago, but had just found out about it recently from a colleague. Okay, we're going to start with our show. We have Dr. Panakin Dabe. Uh, from the School of Optometry at Western University Health Sciences. How are you, Dr. DeVay? Uh, fine, thank you. Uh, Dr. Bob? Great. We're going to be discussing a lot about retina and glaucoma, so I guess the first question to ask you, and if you'll discuss in length, uh, what is glaucoma? Thank you. Uh, glaucoma is a progressive optic neuropathy. Glaucoma has various kinds and types of glaucoma, but essentially the eye has about a million ganglion cells to take the information that is received by our retina. And if you'd like to understand the human eye as a camera, the uh, retina is like the camera film or the sensor. And this information is then transmitted to the brain. And in glaucoma, there is a progressive uh, change in or death of these ganglion cells, fast, accelerated, death of these ganglion cells that causes the eye to lose these cells at a rate faster than what a normal person would lose. And this causes a decrease in vision, which can be noticed at advanced stages. And in early stages, you see the death of the cells, and that is uh, the definition of glaucoma. Uh, we have various kinds of glaucoma overall, most people understand that the pressure of the eye is too high for the health of the eye. So if the pressure is uh, X amount, then the damage is likely to happen. Although most, most glaucomas have a pressure component, um, not all glaucoma, not every kind of glaucoma has an elevated pressure. Really? And uh, doctor, what causes glaucoma and who is at risk of glaucoma? So the, uh, that, that's a multi-billion dollar question, what causes yeah, glaucoma? Because I, I, I think we have an understanding of what happens in glaucoma quite well, but we do not have a, a thorough understanding of what really causes it, even though it is uh, often associated with the uh, genetics of a person. It is often associated with elevated intraocular pressure, which is the pressure of the eye. But really, we do not have an idea of what truly causes glaucoma. We do know 
that if the pressure of the eye is high up enough, then the, the damage is likely to happen. So overall, I would start saying who's at risk of glaucoma. These are the risk factors. If you have a family history of glaucoma in your first relatives, that essentially is father, mother, brother, or your sister, then you are at risk of glaucoma. Then with increase in age, there is an increased chance of developing glaucoma. So as an individual grows older, the chances of finding more number of glaucoma patients in an older subset of a population is much greater. So age is related to glaucoma. And of course, let's not forget notorious the pressure of the eye. The pressure of the eye is high, then it can lead to or cause glaucoma. And so these are actually considered to be risk factors that are associated with glaucoma, and anyone that has any of these risk factors should keep a watchful eye, pun intended on that, uh, a, <laughs> a watchful eye on your eye. And what are the most common types? There are various types of glaucoma, obviously. And yeah. uh, if you could describe that, what's involved with them, and uh, what's the actual differences as far as the signs that the patient may notice and may not notice with certain types of glaucoma? Absolutely. Great question. Thank you, Dr. Bob. So, you betcha. As you actually said, quite rightly, that not every glaucoma is going to have sign. I'm going to start with the most common, notorious kind of glaucoma. Now, the most common kind of glaucoma is the open-angle glaucoma. Essentially, the human eyeball is like a small ball. It's about 2.5 centimeters, and the front of the eyeball has a fluid that's filled up. This fluid is called aqueous humor. Now, the aqueous humor is very important because not all the structures in your eye has blood vessels. The front mm -hmm. of the eye and the human crystalline lens, which is the lens that is utilized inside the eye for focusing of the objects, um, those two are actually avascular, meaning they do not have blood supply. So they depend on this aqueous humor, this fluid that fills up in the front of the eye for its nourishment. Also, this aqueous humor takes the debris and the waste products, which are of um, metabolic waste products, away from the eye. Now, if the fluid is draining normally, in healthy eyes, the amount of production of this fluid is equal to the amount of removal of the fluid. So the pressure is constant throughout uh, the time. So the amount of production is equal to the amount of removal. Now, open-angle glaucoma is a kind of glaucoma that the drainage mechanism looks to be open, but there is some blockage somewhere in the drainage that causes the pressure to be elevated. Now, it's like uh, looking at the drain of your shower. Even though the drain may appear to be open at face, the blockage can be uh, way beyond in the pipes. Similarly, open-angle glaucoma, the drainage appears to be open, but the blockage is, is present somewhere, and the pressure gets elevated. So this is the most common kind of glaucoma. And this particular one is often uh, referred to as silent thief of vision, essentially meaning that the patient has no idea that they have glaucoma. They have a clear, beautiful white-looking eyes, so no pain, no redness, and the, the glaucoma is stealing their vision away. So this is the most common kind of glaucoma. 
In this open-angle glaucoma, there are two varieties. One that has measurable elevation of pressure, and there is another glaucoma in that category called a normal tension glaucoma. The normal tension glaucoma, the term normal, signifies that the pressure ranges of your eye is within the statistical limits of normality. So the pressure is not elevated, but that uh, eye is still getting damage. And so these are the common kinds of glaucoma, which has absolutely no signs or symptoms. Then you have the other uh, variety of glaucoma, which I call the fancier varieties, and I'm glad they are actually much more rare, are congenital glaucomas in children. Mm-hmm. You could have developmental glaucomas, and then you have the angle closure glaucoma. So let me touch briefly on the congenital and developmental glaucomas. Please These do. are the ones that occur in early in their, in their age or, uh, or their childhood. Congenital ones, the child is born with uh, anatomical damage or anatomical malformations in the eye that causes glaucoma. And these are uh, often quite uh, visible in terms of their cornea, which is the front of the eye, which should be clear, is hazy. The child or the infant may have profuse tearing and watery eye that the child uh, or the infant may refuse to uh, open their eyes in bright light, essentially if they're photophobic. Uh, they have, they have uh, tremendous um, glare or incense, uh, uh, they are very sensitive to bright light. So those are the signs that you see in uh, congenital uh, glaucomas. Developmental glaucomas, because the eye is not fully formed in the child, the pressure causes the eyeball to grow quite large. So they have a large eyeball with their cornea, the front of the eye, stretching uh, to allow for the pressure. Uh, um, And so because their eye is not fully developed, they tend to have a stretched eyeball. So these are the developmental varieties. And then you have the painful glaucoma, which is called the angle closure glaucoma. In, and as I was explaining, this aqueous humor or the fluid in the front of the eye, if it does not drain at all or the drainage is completely blocked, you have a sudden elevation or spike in the pressure of the eye. The patient feels nausea or vomiting. There is an acute red eye, meaning there's a sudden onset redness. There is lots of pain in the eye. patient also profusely sweats. And this is the angle closure variety. And this is an emergency. This is an ocular emergency. They need to seek medical attention immediately to lower the pressure of the eye because the first few hours uh, is very crucial. And if the pressure is brought down, lots of vision can be saved. Doctor, with these patients with the closed angle, would they go through the day pretty well, and then if they're in a movie theater where it's dark or if it's nighttime or whatever, would they notice this more, or can it happen anytime, really? Uh, is there more propensity toward the uh, darker times? So, as you, were, as you uh, rightly pointed out, um, the angle, it has a tendency to close if you are in a darker environment because the pupil or the iris actually folds. So, as you're in a dark environment the pupil of the eye becomes larger. Now, the pupil is a hole that's created in the center to allow for the light. 
and in dark environment, the pupil becomes larger, thus causing the bunching of the iris in the periphery. Now, that can precipitate angle closure attacks mm-hmm. in individuals that are susceptible to this variety. The number one uh, association for angle closure glaucoma is increasing age, because as we grow older, our front of the eye becomes smaller in size because there is a growing lens or Mm -hmm. cataract in the back of the eye that pushes the iris forward. So any individual that has a a maturing cataract and already had a small eye to begin with is at risk of having an angle closure attack. And especially if they are in a dark environment or if they are in a prone position, which is face-down sort of position, uh, they can... Uh, precipitate an angle closure attack. Well, and what I'm going to do, uh, doctor, because we are coming up pretty soon um, within the next uh, half minute or so on break, uh, whether there is more of a propensity with some of these individuals to develop glaucoma if they're nearsighted versus farsighted. So we'll come back after the break. You're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on the Health and Wellness Channel of VoiceAmerica.com. We will be back. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at RanchoEyeDoctor.com. There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local chambers of commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoEyeDoctor.com or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535 or RanchoEyeDoctor.com. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or you can send an email to Rancho Optometric at Verizon.net. 
Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio. Good afternoon. We're back with Dr. Panakin Dabe. And Doc, we're speaking about glaucoma. Uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which we left off with, is there more of a propensity or a problem if a patient is nearsighted versus farsighted uh, as far as developing glaucoma and why? That's a very good question. So a, uh, a nearsightedness and farsightedness refers to myopia and hyperopia, meaning a nearsighted eyeball is myopic. You require minus corrective lenses to be worn, and that, that eyeball is usually a larger-than-average size of an eyeball. Hypermetropia or hyperopia or farsightedness is associated with a smaller-than-average size of eyeball. Now, if you think about it uh, in terms of pure physics, the drainage mechanism or the region where the aqueous humor uh, is removed from the eye, if that, if that eyeball is smaller to begin with, it is more at risk of developing an angle closure attack. And if that person, let's say hypermetropic person or hyperopic person gets older and they have a uh, growing uh, intraocular lens, as in the lens, uh, the normal crystalline lens of the eye grows lo- uh, wider or thicker, then that could push the iris forward, and the eye was smaller to begin with, so that would predispose them to angle closure attack. A uh, example of that is in uh, can be found in Chinese American or Asian American, where we actually see that they have a smaller eyeball to begin with, and the risk of uh, developing angle closure glaucoma is very high in that particular population. Well, wow, good to know. Uh, and doctor, why is the accurate measurement of the pressure important in glaucoma? So um, right now, all our therapy and management uh, hinges on a couple of factors. We know that intraocular pressure is tightly connected with glaucoma, even though we cannot say that it causes glaucoma. The pressure is the only thing that we can alter successfully, and it has been shown in various uh, uh, NIH-funded trials that if you take control and reduce the pressure, you decrease the possibility of progressive damage in glaucoma. So all the therapies, medical and surgical therapies, are based on the fact that they lower pressure of the eye. So you have drops that you and one one can take, different, kind, different kinds of drops, to lower the pressure. You have laser surgery that can be performed in the eye to lower the pressure. You have valves or stents that can be put inside the eye, again, to lower the pressure. And you have invasive uh, surgeries like trabeculectomy that can be done to also lower the pressure. So all the entire management of glaucoma is focused on lowering the pressure right now, and we have good, robust evidence for this. So it is very crucial to measure the pressure as accurately as possible, given that entire management is based on lowering pressure. That's why it's very crucial to measure the pressure accurately, measure pressure different times of the day, as well as more frequently by visiting your doctor and getting evaluated for the same. Doctor, a question that comes up, and myself as a professional come up against this, are individuals who have had LASIK surgery uh, before they've ever been discovered to have glaucoma, maybe years 
prior. And in many of the cases, we're seeing very low pressures. Could you comment on this as far as uh, how you treat these, how you measure it, and the importance of knowing this fact? Absolutely fantastic question. And it is perfectly elegant the way you put it. Say, for example, a 20-year-old young man uh, or 25-year-old young man or woman had surgery done, let's say, 10 to 15 years ago. And now they arrive at an age group where the risk of glaucoma in them increases. So they were normal to begin with, and now 15 years have passed since LASIK or other uh, laser refractive surgeries, and they are at risk of glaucoma. And you see the pressure is very low in them. Think of it this, uh, as a, an analogy of measuring in a pressure in a balloon versus measuring pressure in a football. So the balloon, the wall of the balloon is very thin. It's easy mm-hmm. to flex. It's easy to bend. Whereas the football has a thick, leathery wall. The pressure inside the football or the balloon may, may be the same, but the wall of the uh, balloon is thinner and so easy to squeeze. Similarly, the refractive surgery, particularly LASIK, actually causes the wall of the eye to get thinner. And when that happens, you do not measure pressure accurately post-LASIK. And so you get these falsely low values of pressure in the eye. It gets particularly tricky in managing these patients because now one entity that you're hinging your therapy on cannot be measured accurately. And so you have to pay very close attention to the optic nerve and the retinal nerve nerve fiber layer tissue around the nerve to manage glaucoma in these cases. There are two devices that measure the pressure accurately or quite accurately after LASIK surgery. They are ocular response analyzer uh, tonometer and the Pascal dynamic contour tonometer. Both these tonometers have been shown to be quite accurate in measuring pressure after refractive surgery. So I would urge anybody that has had refractive surgery to get their pressure measured with a good device, uh, which I mentioned, these two devices. I have uh, no uh, conflict of interest in this area. Um, I, I have researched these devices, and also uh, there is enough literature in uh, uh, the index medicus that supports the evidence that these tonometers are more accurate than the standard tonometers that are utilized clinically uh, worldwide. And so they need to measure their pressure accurately and keep a watchful eye on their glaucoma, especially as they get into the age group that increases their risk. Doctor, does the average optometrist or ophthalmologist, for that matter, have these devices within their office? So these devices have gotten uh, more and more popular in the last decade, and I dare actually predict that because of the success of the laser refractive surgery, and so many patients have actually used, uh, uh, done, done, uh, done, or performed that surgery on themselves, and they've actually gotten that. Uh, glasses taken care of, they no longer need glasses, the number of patients that require accurate measurement of pressure has increased a lot. So these devices have gotten to become relatively commonplace, but most larger institutes have access to these devices. We have these devices in our, in our clinic, and we are, um, we, ca- we are able to accurately measure pressure after laser refractive surgery. 
And which brings up another question. Uh, if a patient, uh, let's say in their 40s or older, contemplating laser or LASIK surgery, and is any surgeon going to perform LASIK on these individuals if they're also being treated for open-angle glaucoma? It's a uh, very... Um how should I put it delicately? It's an, it's, this, is an, this is an ethical question. Now, you have a patient that is uh, a 40-year-old, no history of glaucoma. That's in one category. And then you have another 40-year-old or 45-year-old or somewhere there that has glaucoma uh, and would like to consider laser refractive surgery. One needs to understand the risk that they may not be able to get accurate measurement of their pressure after refractive surgery and correction algorithms have not, have not worked. There is no correction factor that can be utilized successfully. And so one has to be aware of such uh, shortcomings after the surgery. So one can be prepared to perhaps use other techniques like retinal imaging to mm-hmm. monitor the status of their glaucoma. So it's a very tricky question uh, as to would somebody do a surgery on these patients if they, if they do uh, perform the surgery on these patients that have glaucoma, and that's life. You know, we don't want to uh, a 45 year. I mean, people have been saying that the 45 is the new 30s. So, mm-hmm, uh, exactly. if, uh, if that is the case, we should be able to give an allowance for uh, accommodating individuals that want to get rid of their glasses at the age of 45, and just understand that we have to monitor them using other devices that is already available to us. Okay, great. Uh, and, of course, this question comes up, how can you protect your eyes or can you protect your eyes against glaucoma? So glaucoma tends to run in families, and that has been uh, uh, quite noted. Although we don't have a true genetic test that we can do or perform to say that you are at risk of glaucoma, if somebody in your immediate family has glaucoma, then the chances that you could have glaucoma is much higher. So we need to uh, uh, be aware of that and get to regular eye examinations um, after the age of 40. Uh, and even prior to that, have certain baseline examination done so that we know where we stand. So, con- con- uh, so just consider this. A baseline examination is like getting your uh, weight measured. You know where you are, and then there is a method that you can apply to say, now do I want to get thinner or do I want to become bulkier or what do I want to do? So if you get a good eye examination and establish certain baseline, that is priceless because you can get lots of valuable data and then you can follow up annually and take care of your eyes in that fashion. Now, healthy lifestyle and living is very crucial, but there is no particular vitamin supplement or any uh, over-the-counter supplements that can be taken to prevent glaucoma. And what I would urge is, uh, to have regular examinations and specially establishing baseline for your nerve head findings and nerve fiber layer finding and keep that with you so that when, when, we, go, when we actually get old, we can use that uh, as a benchmark to compare ourselves against. Makes good sense. And, Doctor, of course, we're going to start this part of the question here might have to go through break afterwards but what are the current treatments and management of patients with glaucoma so the current treatments and management uh, are either drops in the eye to lower the pressure you have slt which is a laser surgery 
that can be performed to lower the pressure. And then you have certain invasive procedures or surgeries like uh, uh, tubes and stents that can be placed in the eye to improve the drainage of that aqueous humor or perform a surgery like trabeculectomy to lower the pressure of the eye. These are the current uh, me- uh, medical and surgical management of glaucoma. Also, it's very crucial to get uh, regular eye examinations. Um, your uh, doctor will give you a timeline for this, but it's usually a good idea to have an evaluation once every three to four months until you and your doctor are satisfied that you have enough baseline data to then manage this glaucoma further. So it's all uh, tailored on an individual basis, but this is the general guideline. Doctor, you mentioned stents on surgical procedure. Is there any problems if a patient should have this with contact lenses, or do they have to be careful as far as trauma to the eye is concerned, or in fact dilation? Do any of these play? Is there any consideration with these questions regarding the person who's had a stent implanted into their eye? So let's actually uh, take the stepwise. So uh, dilation, as you mentioned, that is actually pupillary dilation. You put drops in the eye to make the pupil larger so your doctor can have a good look at your retina for the optic nerve and the retina, which is very difficult to view with actually smaller pupil. Um, This is an important procedure to be performed, and it's very crucial to actually identify. uh, It's very important that it will actually help you identify certain diseases which has a tendency to hide their way out in the periphery. So that is important. But um, the tubes or stents that are put in the eye have no effect uh, on regular uh, eye examination. Now, contact lenses are interesting because when you had invasive surgeries like trabeculectomy, sometimes the contact lenses tend to rub on the bleb or the alternate uh, outflow mechanism that is created and your doctor may advise you not to use that if the bleb is particularly thin. So it's on an individual basis, uh, but uh, I would suggest you uh, to any, in any, any patient that is actually uh, listening to stick to their doctor, one doctor, and get good advice and, t- and take time to discuss these intricate details of your daily use of certain um, contact lenses and certain drugs that may be. That's great. Well, we're going to be coming back with Dr. DeVay after the break. You're on uh, Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on the Health and Wellness Channel on voiceamerica.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at voiceamericatrn or twitter.com forward slash voiceamericatrn. Do you or does somebody you know face an ongoing battle with addiction? Our nation's drug problem is getting worse as we spend billions on the judicial system. It's time to fight the demand for drugs and not the supply. Listen for I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen, who has experienced both IV heroin addiction and recovery and is now here to both help and educate you with his story and engaging guests. There are great resources available for recovery. And there is hope. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. 
Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at RanchoEyeDoctor.com. There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local chambers of commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoEyeDoctor.com or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535 or RanchoEyeDoctor.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to one 866 472 5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or you can send an email to ranchooptometric at verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio. So before we close up on glaucoma, Dr. DeVay, it's, I guess you would say that it is important uh, if you have an acute red eye to immediately have it checked by your personal eye doctor. And also the importance of having yearly dilated eye examinations to help root out because, as you said, sometimes you can have normal pressure and still have changes in the eye that can lead to glaucoma. You're absolutely correct. So uh, a annual dilated examination uh, of your eye is very crucial in identifying these uh, diseases like glaucoma that can be quite silent and quite dormant in its early stages and present with you uh, with no signs or symptoms. So it's very crucial uh, that they don't actually uh, that you have a dilated annual exam. And if you ever, if any anyone ever has an acute red eye, uh, it really does require immediate and prompt attention uh, by them meeting their eye doctor. Great. Let's uh, we're going to go over and start discussing retina with you. And of course, when you discuss retina, the first one that comes up point is macula. So let's discuss this. And what is actually, doctor, macular degeneration? Uh, age-related macular degeneration or macular degeneration. Let's start with macula. So as I was saying, if you, want, if you think of human eye as a camera, you have the retina is the analogy can be uh, compared to the camera film or the sensor. Now, our central most portion of your retina uh, is fovea, and its surrounding uh, is um, a structure or a region called macula. This macula is uh, an important portion of the retina that gives you your central vision. So uh, imagine if you were looking at it straight ahead, uh, you are using your macula. And macular degeneration is a degeneration or a progressive damage to that area or the structures in that area. Okay, and what is the most common type of macular degeneration? The most common type of macular degeneration is 
dry macular degeneration or non-exudative type. The dry macular degeneration or the non-exudative type macular degeneration is the degeneration that occurs is closely associated with the age of a popula- uh, of an individual and also associated with certain uh, lifetime exposure to radiation uh, and sunlight levels. So if an individual has spent a long hours in sunlight and have not used any eye protective devices like sunglasses, um, then they are at risk of this degeneration of the macula. Also, there is a, a close association of macular degeneration with uh, ethnicity of an individual. It is far more common in Caucasian or white population when compared to African-American uh, population. So the dry macular degeneration is the most common type of macular degeneration. Okay. And can you tell us about or what kind of vitamins can protect the patients with macular degeneration? So consider vitamins as a very crucial addition to your diet. And um, if I'm allowed to indulge in the uh, analogy of vitamins, um, let's start off with uh, most individuals start taking vitamins when they are middle-aged, 40 and higher or so, when they get a little more health conscious and they start taking care of their health. But I think the reverse, I think it is very important that we start taking vitamins as early as possible. And I'm going to explain why is this the case. So vitamins or micronutrients that are, that are supplemented uh, as a pill is a supplement to your diet. So there's no real um, alternative to a healthy diet, but the vitamins would actually supplement what, you, what one may actually miss out uh, on day-to-day basis and would actually supplement uh, your diet. So when you are young you have absolutely clear media, meaning your cornea is clear, your lens is clear, and you have large pupils uh, that will allow all the light rays to reach the retina. So the damage is very likely to occur in younger age, but it shows itself uh, in older age where it actually crosses a threshold and now you know there is a degeneration. So it's very important for individuals to protect their eye early on and take these vitamins, particularly uh, certain carotenoids like zeaxanthin, lutein. These are present in small amounts in most of the uh, one-a-day vitamins, but they can be supplemented with eye-specific vitamins. And studies have shown that these may be protective uh, uh, in particularly advanced cases, cases of macular degeneration from moderate to severe. It can prevent the progression of the disease. So I would suggest that... Uh, Look into the shelves of multivitamin, talk to your eye doctor or pharmacist a little more in detail, and um, try uh, adding vitamins uh, at least um, early on in your life, life rather than later on. Doctor, you've done a tremendous amount of research, both in glaucoma and in macular degeneration. At this time, can you give us some information about the research that you've conducted over the, over the years? and just a small taste of it so you can see what an expert you are actually in this field. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. I, am, I, am, I am honored that you actually say such flattering words about me. I have researched glaucoma for the last 14 to 15 years, and uh, in particularly trying to create predictive modeling 
who could develop glaucoma. So we have these imaging devices that can measure the nerve and the retinal nerve fiber layer around the uh, nerve, and that is giving us a lot of data. And technology has rapidly improved in this area, but we don't always know how to utilize this piece of information. Mm-hmm. And so for the last uh, um, about a decade or so, I've been working uh, during my postdoctoral years in Louisville, Kentucky, and then subsequently my work in Tennessee and in California has led to development of algorithms that can use these pieces of information of retinal thickness and retinal structure and predict who is at a greatest risk of developing glaucoma in future. And we have identified certain shape characteristics of the, of the retinal nerve fiber layer that may be predictive of either the onset of the disease or the progression of the disease in these individuals. I've also researched uh, quite in detail the uh, errors in tonometry and have created algorithms that may help to cre- uh, correct uh, these errors in tonometry. Uh, my current research is focused uh, on imaging devices, and we have many uh, studies that are going, in, uh, going on in terms of normative database collection for these uh, imaging devices and trying to see agreement and precision of these devices that may be subsequently used in future clinics. So we have a few, good few devices that are getting tested, and we'll, which will get finally approval from FDA and will be available for common market. But one particular research I'm really very uh, happy and proud about is my collaboration with UC Riverside and UCLA, uh, Professor Aaron Seitz, myself, and uh, Dr. Stacy Pineless of UCLA were involved in the submission of a, an NIH grant that is funded um, now, and we are looking at trying to improve the vision in patients that have retinal degeneration, particularly macular degeneration, and trying to improve vision in patients that have lazy eye or amblyopia. Lazy eye arm of the study is taken care of by Dr. Stacy Pineless of UCLA, and uh, I am taking care of the arm of the study that particularly uses iPads as at-home therapy uh, in trying to improve the vision of an individual. What we find is that video gamers have very sharp vision in understanding moving targets and Mm -hmm. identifying targets in space. Now, we have designed, Dr. Aaron Seitz from UC Riverside has designed a iPad video game using the understanding of human brain and human vision and and created a video game called Ultim Eyes that is actually having uh, the features and targets that actually can sharpen your vision. So human vision can be trained and can be improved. And that's the premise of this. So we provide an iPad to our patients that have macular degeneration. Patients are asked to perform this or play this 20-minute video game for five days a week. And in about what we see in about 36 sessions or so of playing this video game, their vision has improved and particularly uh, them being able to better identify uh, contrast, uh, which is the vision like in the, in the different shades of gray, day-to-day vision that you see, particularly identifying objects in dark, and patients find an improvement in their vision. So we are, we are doing a controlled 
um, randomized controlled study at Western University of Health Sciences, we are trying to tease out and understand how best to utilize this video game to enhance wow, patient's vision vision. That's great. I'd like to come back to more of this after the break, Doctor. You're with uh, Dr. Bob on Vision Talk Radio. We'll be back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. How many times have you heard this? I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. You are what you eat. I've tried every diet. Diets don't work. It's time to stop this kind of madness and start thinking and feeling empowered to change your health. Tune in to The Raw Truth with Chef Sharon Fraser. Join us weekly for thought-provoking conversations with world-renowned experts in the food, medical, holistic, sports medicine, chiropractic, and naturopathic health sciences. The Raw Truth airs live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at RanchoEyeDoctor.com. There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local chambers of commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoEyeDoctor.com or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535 or RanchoEyeDoctor.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or you can send an email to ranchooptometric at verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio. So, Doctor, in our discussion of macular degeneration, I'd like you to go over the different uh, therapies you started to discuss with the uh, iPad, which I thought was fantastic, and the vitamin regimen and so forth. I'd like to spend some time so our audience can appreciate this and what can actually be done because some of this information is not out there uh, being given to these patients. Yes, thank you for that. So, um, as, as, as you were saying, that the most common uh, kind of macular degeneration is the dry macular degeneration. And the other kind is the wet macular degeneration. Now, for the wet macular degeneration, you have various 
uh, injections and therapies or anti-VEGF therapies that can be given. But for dry macular degeneration, we really don't have any therapy that is available. And you can ask me, why is that? And so these cells are dead. These are considered, eye, uh, the eye is nothing but an extension of the brain. And once the cells are dead, there is no really regrowth of these cells. We're not, we have not been able to grow these cells back. So the dry macular degeneration, the best therapy that we have right now is taking vitamins and hoping for slowing down of progression. But there is no vision that can be obtained back once the vision loss occurs. That was really the underlying motive of developing uh, these intuitive uh, perceptual learning therapies that can improve the vision in conditions, particularly like macular de degeneration, that has no therapies. So we can't grow these ganglion cells or cells back, or we can't grow these photoreceptor cells that are actually dying back. And the idea is that if we can train the existing cells to sort of pick up the slack around the dead cells, then we can, in a sense, improve the vision in that area and cause um, an overall decline uh, in that scotoma. So let me explain that a little bit. Please Say, do. for example, if my retina has a region of damage and I'm seeing a black patch, and those, the, the cells that are responsible for that particular region are dead, can I train the cells just around that region to sort of pick up the slack or improve in their vision, which will cause the black patch in my field to decrease or become smaller? Is that possible? And the answer to that question is yes, vision can be trained, and this intuitive perceptual learning training video game uh, is developed with the idea that we're going to train some of these cells to become better or some of these regions to become better uh, at appreciating targets and thus be able to improve overall vision in a patient. And so this is still at uh, early stages. We have, a, we have a video game that's available, Ultimize. NIH has funded us for five years to do a randomized controlled trial on this area. And it is very interesting. I mean, I cannot give you any results uh, yet, um, but the patients that have performed this find that or feel that their vision has improved. And that's, that in itself is a, is a great success in an area Tremendous. that we have absolutely no therapy for. So, doctor, if, and I'm speaking a little technical here, if we, uh, if an optometrist on their general examination starts to notice early signs of uh, macular degeneration, they start to see drusen and so forth back there, or pigmentary changes in the back of the eye, uh, would you start the patient uh, with this uh, perceptual training? So uh, we are uh, uh, recruiting subjects for the this, for this study. The study has absolutely no injections or no vitamins or nothing to pop. All we will need is a patient to come in for an eye examination. We will confirm that they have macular degeneration. And once confirmed, and if it's not very advanced macular degeneration, we will put them on this uh, regimen where we would loan them an iPad. They will do the video game uh, session uh, five days a week at least. And in about two months' time, we will measure their vision again. So we will measure at baseline with various tests that I've mentioned, like contrast sensitivity. We will let them play the video game for two months, and the iPad can be connected to Internet, so we get the data on a, on a, on a daily basis, whether a person's doing the test or not. 
And in about two months' time, we can reassess their vision, and we assess their vision again after stopping the video game uh, two more months later, so at about four months from the baseline, to see if they have any retained any of these improvements in vision. And although these are early days, I'm very optimistic in this area. That is absolutely tremendous. And, of course, the most important thing, you know, you can measure as much as you want uh, objectively with um, different instrumentation, but it's the subjective that really counts as far as that patient is concerned. And them coming back to you uh, with this type of information, uh, just that, hey, I'm not as bad as I used to be, or just the perception that the patient is uh, feeling an improvement with this is... Uh, Tremendous. Now, have you seen actually where you, the patient might have been, what, 20, 30, 20, 40, and you were able to get an extra line or two on the uh, that's, visual? That, that's exactly what we're hoping for. We've done about uh, 10 subjects until now, and this, these, these, are, these are preliminary studies before we start the real main randomized controlled trial. And what we are seeing is that patients are showing enhancement or improvement in contrast sensitivity, which wow. is actually identifying very dull targets on a white background. And that's like, uh, it, could, uh, it could actually simulate, think of it as a nighttime vision. People, mm-hmm. you know, so, so patients are improving their vision. And nighttime vision is very crucial. Many of our elders have stopped driving at night because they feel uncomfortable that their vision has gone down. And so this is a real asset. So um, that's one way of testing. And, of course, we ask the patients if they feel that their vision has improved since. And actually, universally, most patients have said, yes, they feel improvement in their vision. And that's very crucial because subjectively, if they feel better and they feel more confident that they can, they are, they're seeing better, that means a lot. That's great. Doctor, we have a couple of minutes, and I mean just a couple of minutes. Uh, could you br- very briefly uh, just describe uh, the future directions of research like within the next minute or a minute and a half? Sure. Just give us some uh, information here before we close so, out the show. Absolutely. So the next uh, uh, line of work is to improve some of these imaging devices and particularly try to identify we know that there are 10 layers in the retina, and right now the best machines can actually identify uh, three to four layers accurately. We, and then there is future research working on getting about seven different layers identified. And once we can measure these different layers, we can identify pathology in these different layers. So that's one angle of it. Then we are trying to enhance or uh, increase the field of view uh, with these improved technology and try and image larger areas of the retina. And, of course, the uh, perceptual learning studies are you know, trying to improve vision in patients, uh, particularly with diseases that have absolutely no therapy for. A small amount of my research is uh, uh, focused on creating new compounds that may actually improve vision. And so there is some amount of work there that's also being done and trying in terms of new drug therapies. That's tremendous, Doctor. Listen, the hour just flew by here, Doctor. Uh, so anyway, I want to really thank you, Doctor DeVay, for being on the show with us on Vision Talk Radio with Doctor Bob. Uh, we will look forward to our next show next week. We'll have Doctor Rishkow, which will discuss sports vision training, totally different subject. But again, Doctor DeVay, thank you so much for joining us, and have a great week. And we will be talking to you next week on Vision Talk Radio with Doctor Bob. Mm-hmm. 
thank you for tuning in to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. We'll be back next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week. We'll be right back.